Thanks for tuning in to the Dutch Podcast. I'm Noah Reed, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the Dutch Test. Before we get started on this week's episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. This year marks 10 years of the Dutch Test, and we're celebrating that by giving you, our providers and patients, multiple chances to win exciting prizes during the first 10 days of December. Registration is now open, so go to dutchtest.com and click the banner on the screen to learn more. There are 10 ways you get to enter your name into the drawing for great prizes, including free Dutch tests, an aura ring, signed books by functional medicine authors, and the grand prize giveaway. A trip for two to Oregon's Willamette Valley, home of Precision Analytical, to enjoy a two-night stay at the Atticus Hotel, a wine tasting at one of the Willamette Valley's beautiful vineyards, dinner for two at the Joel Palmer House, and a tour of the Precision Analytical Lab, creators of the Dutch Test. Each prize will be given away between December 1st and 10th, with the grand prize announcement happening during a live taping of the Dutch podcast from A4M World Congress in Las Vegas. Visit DutchTest.com and get your name in the drawing. Sign up for the Dutch Digest and follow us on social media to catch all the details about 10 days of Dutch. Thanks to everyone for an amazing 10 years and good luck with the drawings. Now, onto this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers and patients can learn about hormones and explore the body's most complex communication system. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, Chief Medical Officer for Dutch. As a clinician, I focused on fertility and used Dutch testing to uncover the role that hormones play in a couple's ability to conceive. On the Dutch Podcast, I'm joined by experts in functional medicine who will help us make sense of our body's hormones and take the guesswork out of treating hormone-related issues. Coming up on this week's episode, we have a very special guest, Melissa Groves Azero, who is founder of The Hormone Dietitian and an award-winning integrative dietitian who helps women with hormone imbalances, PCOS, and fertility issues to regain regular symptom-free periods and get pregnant naturally. She uses a functional medicine approach to identify the root causes of symptoms and helps you develop a personalized nutrition, supplement, and lifestyle plan to balance hormones and optimize fertility. She's the creator of the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap and the Period Problems Root Cause Roadmap and is a recent author, relatively recent to a fantastic book, A Balanced Approach to PCOS, which I cook from at least once a week, I'll tell you that. And she's the host of the podcast, Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. Thank you, Melissa, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you know I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Um, we became Instagram buddies, and I love the content that you share on there. And I was really drawn to the work that you do because as a naturopathic doctor, we really work on trying to get to like the root cause of someone's condition. And I've been personally interested in PCOS for a long time because it affects so many of my patients. And when I started to dive into the research on it, what I learned was really fascinating. One is that we treat with a really kind of with blinders on in conventional medicine. And once you start seeing a lot of patients with PCOS, you realize that doesn't work for everybody right? And so we have this spectrum. You know, I always say we shouldn't call it polycystic ovarian syndrome. We should call it polycystic ovarian spectrum because there's this 
healthy and disease and then all these shades of gray that women kind of get caught up in. So anyway, I'm so excited to be able to spend time with you today and just dive in on your approach to PCOS and how practitioners might learn a little bit more about how they could address it more effectively. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about your practice and what made you so interested in working with women with PCOS? Yes. First, I would argue that even functional medicine tries to treat PCOS as one thing without looking at those, you know, where someone lies on the severity of the root causes. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty easy for us to recommend things like a low carb diet Mm. um, for all people with PCOS without actually taking into account their level of insulin resistance. For example, I mean, so many, so many ways that we're, you know, trying to treat every case of PCOS as if it's the same. And okay. It's not. I accept that correction. <laughs> Conventional mm-hmm. and functional medicine, we still don't have it right. So let's get to the bottom of what we need to be doing differently. Today. Yeah. It's really that personalized approach to PCOS. Yeah. So Um, My practice is the hormone dietitian. Um, I'm based in New Hampshire, but I work with people throughout the U.S. Um, And, you know, really specialize in one-on-one group programs and online courses to support people with PCOS. And part of the reason why I created my practice was because I was getting so angry at the way that people with PCOS were being treated. Um, You know, they were going to their conventional medicine doctors who were, you know, either telling them diet doesn't matter, take the pill, um, come back when you want to get pregnant, just lose weight. Um, Then they were searching online and finding these super restrictive plans like cut gluten, cut dairy, cut sugar, cut carbs, cut soy, um, basically cut all joy from your life when it's a lifelong condition. You know, you're going to tell someone they can never have birthday cake like ever again or pizza ever again. Um, so I really felt like, you know, as a dietitian, we're in the trenches with our patients as they're trying to follow these diets and they're having so much trouble and they're really struggling. And so it doesn't have to be so hard. Mm -hmm. And so my approach is really, it's a root cause approach, but it's sustainable and it's working with the patient and their goals and their needs and their preferences to help them hit on a plan that they can live with for the rest of their life. I'm so glad that you brought this up first as like the first thing that we talk about because you know, in functional medicine, we do love restrictive diets, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes ones that aren't backed by research or science. And that's a big thing for you that you talk about all the time is making sure that you follow the science. And, you know, I think that with women with PCOS, they are particularly targeted because there is this higher rate of obesity and being overweight with women with PCOS. And it's almost like layering on that blame game. Like if you just ate better and you just followed my restrictive diet, you'd have no problem at all. But in fact, that doesn't even fix the problem for many women. Yeah. I talk about weight like a symptom. Weight is a symptom just like irregular periods, just like acne. You know, weight is 
a consequence of the insulin resistance, the inflammation, the hormone imbalances, the gut imbalances that are all leading to this, you know, pretty much almost impossible situation when you're trying to lose weight. Um, Mm. So it's really an upstream approach. You know, you've got to address all of those things before weight loss, you know, before the situation is even ready for weight loss to happen Mm. naturally. So you have a really, what I would describe as like unique perspective on PCOS and on how you work with clients in your own practice. It gets back to that like root cause roadmap, that root cause approach. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, I, you know, I do talk about, you know, what I consider to be sort of the main drivers of PCOS symptoms, which are insulin resistance, which 75 to 95% of people with PCOS do struggle with. Uh, inflammation, we don't really have a percentage, but we know that inflammation uh, is more common and more severe in people with PCOS regardless of weight. So even, you know, compared to someone who's a smaller size, they would have more inflammation. Um, Gut imbalances, we know that the gut microbiome is different in PCOS than in people without PCOS. There's also a lot of overlapping gut conditions and diagnoses, um, IBS. Um, I see a lot of constipation, which obviously is going to worsen elevated hormone levels. Um, See a lot of heartburn, people with PCOS. Um, And then finally, the hormone imbalances. And you know, a lot of people hone in on the high androgens because that is one of the diagnostic criteria of PCOS. But there are other hormone imbalances at play. Thyroid disorders are much higher, more common in people with PCOS. Adrenal dysfunction is huge in PCOS, not for everyone, but for a lot of people with PCOS. It's really looking at the person and seeing where they fall on that spectrum for each of those causes. Mm. I don't consider diet and lifestyle a root cause of PCOS, however, because they didn't cause the condition. Um, However, what we're eating obviously can benefit, um, you know, help our PCOS or hurt our PCOS. And then environmental toxins are obviously playing a role as well. Um, But, you know, we ultimately don't know what actually causes PCOS. It's a combination of genetics, environment, the right triggers that caused all of these situations to activate. So yeah, we really have to look at the person um, and what their goals are as well. That makes a lot of sense. And I think when we, when I learned about PCOS in school, of course, the disorder has ovary in its name, ovarian. And for a long time, we really kind of over-focused on the ovaries. And we thought about this as like a women's health condition because hormone imbalance is a big result of it. But you're right. There's really like multiple organ systems involved at the minimum, even in conventional literature, we recognize it's um, pancreas, adrenal, and ovary, that kind of triad of dysfunction. And then when you layer on the functional approaches to what supports optimal function of those, when you bring in the gut and you bring in kind of all those other pieces for a broader picture. Now, can you talk a little bit about, like some people use the word, the types of PCOS. And of course we see some women that don't fit the typical picture for PCOS. I've heard it called lean PCOS where like, you know, weight management's not a challenge for those women. Can you talk a little bit about the world as you see it? And of course, every client is completely unique, but are there kind of presentations of PCOS that you see more commonly in your practice? 
Yeah, I think that the, you know, the types that you see out there is kind of an oversimplification. I rarely see um, someone fall into just neatly just into one category or a type. Um, Wouldn't it be nice if people did? I mean, it would make medicine and nutrition so much easier. (laughs) It would if it's like, if this, then that. It It would make it so much easier. I will say, you know, sometimes, yes, with the lean PCOS, it does tend to be primarily driven by the adrenals. Um, but I, you know, equally see lean PCOS with high levels of inflammation that are being driven by gut imbalances and leaky gut. So, you know, it's, it's usually not so clean as like just this thing. So most people have more than one root cause, Mm -hmm. I will say. Um, in terms of different, you know, presentations and different treatment approaches, I think, you know, the research is starting to come around to that. There was that paper that came out a couple of years ago about the more, the leaner, more reproductive type where um, androgens are higher, but maybe there's less metabolic risk factors like diabetes versus the like typical presentation where weight and high insulin and high blood sugars are, are more common. Um, so I think, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're getting there. I really think it's going to be a more personalized approach moving forward. Of course. So let's talk a little bit about some of these kind of the major functional categories that we need to address when we're working with women with PCOS. So Let's start by talking about androgens, because this is probably mm-hmm. traditionally thought of as like the hallmark for PCOS, although now we know criteria, mm-hmm. diagnostic criteria keep changing, by the way. You used to need cysts on your ovaries, and now you don't. Um, but let's talk a little bit about androgens first. Yeah, there are some who are arguing that high androgens needs to be, a di- you know, it's, it's one of the three diagnostic criteria and you only have to have two of the three. So technically you could have PCOS without having high androgens. The Androgen Society obviously thinks that PCOS should be defined by high androgens. Um, I do think having low androgens might be another whole disorder on its own. Um, but yeah, we, we have to look at androgens, but I think deeper than that, we have to look at which androgens and that's where the Dutch test comes in for me because, you know, we need to identify, is it testosterone that's high? Is it DHEA that's high? Um, what does DHT look like? What does the, the androgen metabolism pattern look like. So um, that's where Dutch comes in, where we it helps identify the treatment approach because you can't just have everybody take spearmint because um, it won't work on all of the high androgens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what about um, metabolic dysfunction? Yes. Super common. Again, not for all. Um, you know, typically what we see Um, insulin starts to rise about a decade before we'll see an abnormal fasting glucose or an abnormal A1C. Um, Practitioners should be testing for insulin levels, uh, should be testing for insulin resistance. It's actually in the expert guidelines that having PCOS would qualify you to have that test. We're we're pretty much only doing that once people become pregnant, though. You know, we're using that test to to rule out gestational diabetes or or diagnose gestational diabetes. But we should be doing it in non-pregnant people too, because 
That's really where the risks come in with PCOS. And I think that's where some of the misconceptions harm people with PCOS Mm -hmm. is that, you know, if we think about it just as a reproductive disorder, you know, and I still will hear out there, well, I had my babies. I'm not worried about it. I'm done with my family. I'm not worried about it. I had fertility treatments. I got pregnant. You know, it's like, this is when we really need to start worrying about it because 50% of people with PCOS will be diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes by the age of 40. Yeah. I mean, the risk is so high. So when you talk about screening, I imagine fasting insulin, fasting glucose, hemoglobin A1C, anything else that should be part of that routine workup? Those are the major ones that I'm, you know, usually calculating the HOMA IR based on the fasting insulin and the fasting glucose. If they have been able to get an oral oral glucose tolerance test, you know, two hour with the insulin add on, um, that can be really helpful. It's not being done very commonly, so mm-hmm. insulin's easy enough to snag. It's an easy, quick blood test you can get at the same time as a glucose. And I see that a lot. People with PCOS, when they don't ovulate, they don't make progesterone. Like you have to ovulate to make progesterone. So anovulation or those long, chronically long cycles are a big part of PCOS for many people. And if you don't ovulate, you're not producing progesterone. And then that's where that unopposed estrogen comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And also you're not shedding your lining every 28, 30 days. So, um, you know, those cells are staying in there, they're being exposed to estrogen. That's where those DNA changes start to happen. Mm -hmm. The thickened lining starts to happen. Um, and that, you know, leads to issues over time. Mm, That's fascinating. One of the things that I came across in literature that I found really interesting when we talk about like, what are the true causes causes of PCOS. There are genes that have been identified. Yeah, the LH-FSH ratio isn't a diagnostic criteria, but we do typically see LH levels two to three times higher than FSH in PCOS. It's one of the kind of differentiating features between PCOS and something like hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fascinating. So we've talked about metabolic dysfunction. We've talked about androgens. We have not yet talked about adrenals. And this is probably something that you have expertise in that is missed by many practitioners. So I want to spend some time talking about adrenals. Like how do adrenals influence PCOS? Yeah. I want to back that up a little bit because everybody focuses on the insulin resistance and, you know, it's like, okay, let's do low carb. Let's do intermittent fasting because all of those things can lower insulin resistance. But when you're, you're looking at the whole picture, you're looking at the whole person, you're looking at the fact that intermittent fasting and diets that are too low in carbs can spike adrenal hormones for somebody who already has adrenal dysfunction, that can make symptoms worse. Mm. So, you know, I think, I think it's, it's sort of easy to say, okay, let's, let's put everyone on a low carb diet and they'll all get better. And then you're jacking their DHEA levels and they're, you know, having worse oily skin, worse acne. I think, you know, people forget that DHEA, which is made by the adrenals primarily, um, acts like an androgen in the body. So it can cause all of those symptoms that women with PCOS are struggling with, um, the oily skin, the acne, the male pattern hair loss, the hirsutism. Um, But in this case, it's coming from the adrenals. And you know, what 
what impacts the adrenals most is lifestyle. Mm. Um, more so than, I mean, we need nourishing, balanced, regular meals. I always explain like, like the adrenals are like, like our grandmas, you know, like they like regular meal times. They like an early bedtime, like our adrenals need to know that we're safe. Um, so we think about, you know, psychological stress. I think most people think of stress. They think of, you know, psychological work, stress, family, stress, money, stress, outside stress. But I also like to think about internal sources of stress, like mm. skipping meals, imbalanced blood sugar, um, you know, inflammation, gut imbalances, all of the neurotransmitter, you know, imbalances that can happen. All of those are internal sources of stress to our bodies. So, you know, especially when we're talking about women, you know, women's yeah. hormones are super sensitive to scarcity. So we need to to basically make our adrenals feel like everything is safe. It's okay. It's a good time for us to reproduce. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's really looking at the adrenals is a little bit different because it's not just, you know, meditate or do yoga. Like we have to look at the, the whole person and how stressful is your lifestyle to yeah. your adrenals. I've seen that with mm -hmm. women who are living that like very healthy lifestyle, you know, where, they might be eating really clean, but like you said, like doing intermittent fasting with too long a period and that's sensed as stress by the body. Or I had another patient that worked out a lot, but did a lot of weightlifting, like high intensity weightlifting. And what we ended up having to do was having longer breaks between sets. So she does like two minute breaks between sets to allow her body to like fully recover before she moves on to the next exercise. So she still has to do it, but she has to take a longer time with the workout because her cortisol was spiking so much. And just that change helped to bring it back down. So it is, I like your granny approach. And yeah. And I, I think another thing, you know, another myth that gets promoted is just because you have PCOS, you, you can't do intense workouts and that's not true either. It may take a more personalized approach like what you had mentioned with, with your client. It may take more rest days in between, but for the most part, you know, I always tell people cardiovascular health doesn't disappear because you have PCOS. And in fact, it becomes more important. Um, mm. So, you know, intense exercise is actually beneficial for insulin resistance. It's just that matter of the balance and finding the, the rest days and listening to your body. So is the big issue with the adrenal function for women with PCOS that when the HPA axis is like overstimulated, they produce more DHEA or is there a cortisol connection as well? Cortisol is kind of 50-50. Um, you know, like, like you've said, I've done thousands of dodges mm -hmm. and um, I, I, you know, there's now across the board and I always feel like it's one of those funny things. Like I can't look at someone and tell what their adrenals are going to look like on the Dutch. You know, I'll get the Dutch back. I will swear someone is a high cortisol person and I'll get it back and they are flatlined. And I'm like, you are standing up by sheer willpower alone. I don't know how you're doing it. Um, so yeah, it's about, it's about 50, 50. I, I see, I do see a lot of high cortisol, um, you know, in a, a typically high pattern over the course of the day. Um, I see equally low cortisol, you know, pretty flatlined. Um, definitely more in the last two years, I'm seeing a lot more mm. flatlined cortisol. Um, I also see cortisol abnormal patterns. So, you know, maybe they're not getting a spike 
a healthy protective spike in the morning, but maybe they are spiking up before bed when they should be going down. So it's really kind of all over the place. I wouldn't say there's a typical cortisol pattern that I see with PCOS. We do, you know, there's a little bit of research about circadian rhythms being sort of misaligned um, in PCOS. So, you know, circadian rhythm is something that I work on with most of my clients, you know, just getting them aligned with the sun and uh, minimizing those sources of artificial light and stimulation at night. No doom scrolling or news before bed, you know? <laughs> That's probably the worst thing. We should be wearing like red tinted glasses and staying off of our devices in the evening. And we do the exact opposite, you know, mm-hmm. artificial light right next to our faces. And then, yeah, reading the worst possible things about the day all in one. Um, so you mentioned the Dutch test. You And I know you use the Dutch test a lot with your clients. How do you find that to be helpful with um, clients with PCOS? Yeah, for PCOS, it's really essential to um, inform the treatment approach. Um, You know, especially with supplements, you know, when we're talking about diet and we're talking about lifestyle, most of those things are going to be beneficial for most people with PCOS, talking about things like getting more sleep and managing your stress and eating regular balanced meals. Those are going to be beneficial for most people. When we start to get into the specifics of supplements, um, I don't like to recommend a supplement that would impact a hormone without actually getting a good look at what's going on with the hormones first. Um, And part of the reason for that is that we don't know which androgen is high. We don't know if it's testosterone or if it's DHEA. You know, do I want to reach for something like licorice and peony, or would something like ashwagandha be more beneficial for this client? Um, and then we got to go the next layer down and look at DHT because that's the one that's responsible for so many of the hair and skin symptoms. So we get to see is DHT high? If so, why? Do we need to push that pathway? And DHT is a metabolite of testosterone, right? So it's not something that you'd test for normally on regular blood work. Right, right. We wouldn't see that in normal blood work. And I would also say the other thing you know, that's crucial with the Dutch compared to conventional hormone testing is conventional hormone testing looks at DHEAS, um, which is DHEA bound to a sulfate. Um, On the Dutch, and I see this in nearly every single PCOS patient, they will have high DHEA and low to normal DHEAS. And the reason for that is that that conversion is blocked by inflammation. So you are not going to see that on normal blood tests. And you're going to get your tests back from your doctor and they're going to say DHEAS is normal. And you're going to walk away thinking, okay, great. I don't have an adrenal component to my PCOS. So that's where the Dutch is really key for identifying that because you're not going to see that on normal lab Mm. work. So it's interesting because um, you talk about like some of those things you want to evaluate for a patient's root cause or client's root cause. You've talked about androgens and you can see those directly, you know, the androgens mm-hmm. and their metabolites. So again, you know whether it's an overproduction issue or a under metabolism, a slow metabolism issue. You've talked about inflammation and some of the things that can kind of hint you to that on the test, like that conversion of DHEA to DHEA sulfate. And then the other thing I would consider with that is the 80HDG marker which is yes. a marker for oxidative stress that we have on the Dutch test that 
oxidative stress is not inflammation per se, but they're very, they're like kissing cousins. They're very closely related, right? And I do, I do see that, that 80HDG, I will see that elevated once someone has crossed that line from insulin resistance into prediabetes or diabetes. I will see that increased in people who are at that level where they're starting to get the, you know, abnormal pap smears or abnormal, you know, the precancerous cells were detected in polyps or something like that. Mm. I will see that high in people who are, you know, sort of further along that continuum of, you know, the sequela of, of PCOS. Mm. And then you also mentioned like the chronically elevated uncontested estrogens. And so the Dutch test allows you to kind of see insight into that as well, right? Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, it's estrogen issues aren't, uh, you know, widespread, I would say, with PCOS. I would say, you know, the main thing to really consider with the Dutch and, P- and estrogen and PCOS is to look at that aromatization from testosterone um, where we can see it. Uh, aromatized into estradiol. If estradiol is the highest of the three estrogens, look at whether it's coming from the androgens. Mm-hmm. So I know every person's journey with PCOS is unique, but what are some of the supplements that you really like to utilize? Like if someone's kind of building a dispensary out to think about working with people with PCOS, are there any things that you find like really critical as far as ingredients go? Yeah, I would say probably foundational for me for PCOS would be inositol. I'm typically using just myo inositol, and that you know improves insulin sensitivity. There are hundreds of head-to-head studies versus metformin. Um, you know, without you know, and it has the benefits of metformin without the GI side effects that metformin has. Um, so that's when, like I said, I treat everyone like they're insulin resistant until proven otherwise. So I try to get most people started on that one. Fish oil, I find that most people need an EPA, DHA supplement um, for a few reasons. It's anti-inflammatory. Most people aren't getting enough omega-3s in their diet. Um, And also there's some evidence that it helps lower androgen levels. So Mm -hmm. it can be sort of ancillary. Magnesium, you know, magnesium is kind of the wonder supplement. It's like you can use it for sleep, you can use it for cramps, you can use it for headaches. Most people, a little bit of magnesium at bedtime um, supports methylation. So that's usually one. Um, Probiotics, I kind of go based on their symptoms, you know, the right strain for the right symptom. But I do find at least short term, most people benefit from a a little short term probiotic stint. and that's pretty much what I feel comfortable doing without running labs. Yeah. Um, so then we're going to be looking at labs, you know, and we're going to, if they, you know, they do have inflammation, then I'm going to be looking at adding, you know, curcumin or resveratrol or quercetin, depending on their overall situation, you know, which one might be, or boswellia is another one I've yeah. been using lately if there's also gut issues. Um, and then based on the Dutch, you know, the Dutch is going to help me determine, is this someone who could benefit from saw, you know, saw palmetto or spearmint or licorice and peony or NAC? Um, you know, that's, that's where we're 
honing in on those, you know, what I call supplements that touch hormones, like the supplements mm-hmm. that will actually do anything for a hormone directly. Um, so yeah, so that's all based on, on the lab work. Yeah. And I love that like test don't guess approach. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to functional lab testing just generally because there's so much information that can be gleaned from that type of testing that you just can't pick up through conventional blood work. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, especially when we're looking, there's so many, you know, quote unquote, hormone balancing supplements out there on the market. And so many of them are proprietary blends and you're looking at the ingredients and they're sub therapeutic amounts of ingredients. It's like 20 milligrams of Vitex isn't going to do anything for anyone, you know, um, if Vitex is right for you, then we're going to, you know, make the dose one that's actually going to do something for you. Because again, you're just kind of throwing money away on these things that aren't actually going to help. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And it's, you know, I'm a passionate person about good quality supplements. I spent a lot of time in that industry as well. And, but you don't have that awareness yet. So working with a healthcare provider who is knowledgeable is really critical and like a great investment when it comes to coming up with the right supplement plan. Well, this has been awesome. I mean, I think that it's really brought in my perspective of PCOS and also like how the Dutch test can be really helpful for PCOS and just the things to be thinking about for patients. So thank you so much for joining. Um, You've shared a lot and I'm sure there's people who would love to kind of learn more from you. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested in getting your book or looking at your programs or working together? Yeah, my website is thehormonedietitian.com and it's two T's, the American spelling of dietitian. Uh, Instagram is the.hormone.dietitian. Um, my podcast is Hormonally Yours. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. And my book, uh, Balanced Approach to PCOS, you can find it anywhere you buy books as well. Wonderful. Uh, Well, thank you for joining us today, Melissa. I've like really enjoyed the time, like always when we're together. Oh, thank you. Great to see you. Uh, And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Um, Come back next week for more hormone education just like this. And if you're enjoying the Dutch podcast, please help us spread the word by commenting and sharing it wherever you listen. Don't forget to also follow at Dutch Test on Instagram and Facebook for news, education, and provider resources. And if you're a healthcare provider struggling to find answers to complex patient concerns, registering as a Dutch provider will give you the tools you need to profoundly change the life of your patients. Dutch providers receive advanced hormone education, comprehensive test results, clinical support, and so much more. Just visit dutchtest.com and click on providers at the top of the page to get started. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next week. 